This morning we have the privilege of hearing from the very Word of God. We look this morning at Luke chapter 8. We continue to look at Jesus amongst the people. Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. It says, And they sailed, that's Jesus and the disciples, to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered into him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let, him, let them enter these. So he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. Then Jesus went out to see what happened, when the people went out to see what happened, and they came to Jesus. And they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them now, told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country, the Gerasenes, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. We ask that God use uh, the reading and the study of his word this morning. Uh, let's take a look at Luke chapter 8. But before we do that, I'll just ask you a very simple question. Is there anything that you would like to change in life? Is there anything in life that you would like to change? I don't know all the things that are running through your head. Uh, maybe what you would like to change is some tax code. Uh, this has been bothering you sometime. You've been writing letters to congressmen for a long time, and you would like to change this this you know, section dot, 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 tax code. Maybe, maybe that's your, your one play on a, I'd like to change the world. Uh, maybe it is you would like the traffic lights on Fagan to stay on all year long. I mean, that, that would be like a huge change in the world if those traffic lights uh, could stay on. Maybe you would just like to get rid of winter and summer. You, you would like winter to be a little bit warmer, and you would like summer to be a little bit cooler. I don't know, that may be happening. I don't know if it is or not. Uh, but, but those are the kinds of changes uh, that you would like to see. But really, when it comes to transformations, the real transformations that we really love and that really excite us the most are life transformations. 
It's when an individual's life has changed. Uh, you've seen it the whole month of January. You've been seeing pictures of people's fitness regimens and before and afters. afterwards. I heard a comedian say, I'd just settle for the before picture. Uh, just sign me up for, for the before. Uh, I, I would like uh, to, to see that. Uh, we, we just love life transformations. I hope that you noticed when we read the passage of Scripture this morning, we're talking about a life transformation. We are talking this morning at a life that is dramatically transformed. There was time before Jesus, and there is time after Jesus, and nothing is the same again. In fact, I want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about this life transformation that we see before us here in Luke chapter 8. And it really, we could kind of divide it into almost a, a play with three different acts in the play. And so let's kind of walk through that a little bit. The first thing that you would see is that you would see act one is that Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. The passage of Scripture tells us that Jesus arrives on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of the southeast corner. We're not exactly sure exactly where it is, but he has traveled from where the crowds were on the north side and the west side, and he is now on the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. You remember, he has actually gotten here after the storm that we looked at last week, where they thought that their lives were in peril. And so when they get to the other side of the Galilee, it tells us that from the moment Jesus puts his foot on dry ground, one person runs to greet him. In this case, it's not the crowds, it's not the masses of people that he's been seeing and interacting with for quite some time, but in this case, it is one person that shows up uh, to greet him. And the person who shows up to greet him is a broken person. It is a, a person whose life is just absolutely, it's, the, the description of it is, is heartbreaking as we take a look at it. This is a man who is, who is isolated. He no longer lives in the town. He no longer lives in a house. And not only does he not live in a house, does he not live uh, in town, but, but this probably means he's isolated from his family. We don't know exactly what the shape of that family is, uh, but it tells us that his parents are not in contact with him. It tells us that his siblings are not in contact with him. It tells us that his wife or kids, if he has them, are not in contact with him. And this man is isolated from all of those things. We see that he is a hopeless person. He has been written off. They, they have made efforts to try to control this person. In fact, it tells us that they, 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 they put guards over him to, to try to keep control of him. It tells us that they would put uh, him in chains and in bondage. And the, the things that, were deal, that he was dealing with were so strong that he would break loose from those chains and that bondage. It tells us that he is a tormented person who is absolutely struggling from the inside out. It tells us that he is a feared person. It tells us that he is a person who is being consumed from the inside out. It tells us that the cause, the cause of all of these things from this tormentedness, this isolatedness, this fear, this, this cause is a legion of demons. A legion of demons. Now, I think when we hear this and we look at that, we, we kind of, the first question that we have is, is, is this real? Is this a real thing? Are, are demons a real thing? What it tells us is that he's in bondage. 
What it tells us is that this bondage is even greater than the chains that they tried to hold him. I think for many of us, the closest that we can come to this kind of bondage or understanding or, or perceiving this kind of bondage is addiction. We, we've seen this, where this powerful forces take control of a life until it is totally consumed from the inside out and the person is left isolated and tormented and hopeless and written off and feared and consumed in these ways. You have met people, you have known people, you have loved people who have known this. I think there's a real sense of that. But as dark as addiction is, this passage of Scripture is actually talking not just about an addiction, but this is talking about something that's even darker, and that is the very presence of demonic forces dwelling inside this person's life. Now, that always leads to a whole series of questions. And I don't really have time to answer all of those things, and it's not just a time limitations, it is a knowledge limitation. I can't explain to you all things demonic. But let me just try to mention a, a few things just as an overview of what I believe Scripture teaches us about demonic forces. One... Is completely unrelated to anything you've seen on television or read about in a book. Whatever Hollywood has told you of what demonic forces are and what demonic things look like, that, that's, that's really got nothing to do with what the reality is. I would tell you that what the reality is, is that there are supernatural forces beyond this world. Scripture teaches us that. Our faith is built on the fact that there are things in this world beyond the things that we can see, touch, and feel. We worship a God in spirit. But we also know that there is spiritual rebellion in that spirit world as well. And there are real supernatural forces that are in rebellion against the things of God. And in fact, that's one of the other things that I would want you to know is that these demons directly oppose the things of God. That is their purpose. That is why they exist. I think sometimes in our, in our cultural portrayals of demonic forces, we, we, we see them as, as props inside of horror movies, just scary things to pop out in the dark at you. And, and I would tell you that that's not the purpose of a demon. The purpose of a demon is to disrupt, confuse, remove, stand in the way of the movement and the things of God. And in fact, sometimes one of the things that we have to be careful about is that the demons aren't always ugly and scary. Sometimes probably one of our biggest difficulties is that demonic force can come, demonic presence, darkness can come to us in the most beautiful packages, in the most attractive sense and portrayals. And if we're just looking for boogeymen, that are scary, then we're going to miss out on that. The demons exist to disrupt the work and the spirit and the movement of God. But the thing that I would want you to know the most in terms of the, of the work of demonic activity, and that is that the forces of darkness are always lesser in power than the Spirit of God. The forces of darkness are always less powerful than the Spirit of God. 
hear that, and we're going to see that in this passage in just a minute. The spirit, the forces of darkness are real. They oppose the things of God, but they are always less powerful than the Spirit of God. So I will tell you, you stand firm in the Spirit of God, and you will be safe, and you will be protected, because the Spirit of God is always stronger than the Spirit of darkness. The light always casts out the dark. Act one is that Jesus shows up, and he has this encounter with this broken person. The second act is that Jesus heals the man. Now, immediately when Jesus walks up, there is an encounter with these forces of darkness, with these demons. There is a conflict that unfolds right away, and in fact, the demons immediately recognize Jesus. They say, what do you have to do with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Immediately, those demons recognize the presence of Jesus. The thing about it is, is that sometimes everyone else around them did not recognize who Jesus was, but the demon forces, oh, they, 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 they knew. We see that the demons immediately feel imperiled by Jesus. Do not harm us. Do not throw us into the abyss. Do not do these things to us. The demons immediately feel as though they are in danger because of the presence of Jesus. And they're not just paranoid, that's true. <laughs> they are in peril. They are in danger because of the presence of Jesus. And then I would also tell you that the demons immediately submit to his authority. The demons immediately submit to his authority. Here, here's the strange thing, is that they begin to say, Jesus, can't we do this? Are we allowed to do this? Will you allow us to do this? Why? Because they recognize the power and the authority of Jesus. These demons have never asked permission to do anything before in the history of mankind. But when Jesus shows up, they ask permission because they know that Jesus has authority. The result of this conversation, the result of this encounter is that the man is healed and he's free from bondage. He's never going to be the same. Now, there is a little bit of a B-plot to this story, and that is that the demons ask if they can enter into some pigs. They say, we, we, we've liked living in this guy. Could you release us and allow us to go into the pigs? Because Jesus values the man more than he values the pigs, he permits this. I can't help but think about the herdsmen that are watching this whole encounter. They, they, they know uh, the wild, crazy, naked, demon-possessed guy. They know this guy, and then they see this stranger come across the lake in the boat, and there's this conversation, and there's interaction, and they're probably nudging each other. What's going on over there? What do you think's happening over there? And they're just watching from the sidelines. And then all of a sudden, Jesus cast out these demons, <laughs> and these demons leave that man and go into the flock or the, the herd of their pigs, and those pigs go running down the side of the mountain. They went from being spectators to participants in this whole thing. It got personal for them all of a sudden. Now, there are some folks that do the math, that they count the value of these pigs. Another one of the Gospels tells us that this was a herd of 2,000 pigs, and you start adding that up, and you want to talk about piggy banks. This, this, was, real, this was real money. I appreciate those of you who got that. Uh, um, this was real money that went down off the side of the cliff. And there are some folks that are upset. Why did Jesus do that? Well, first of all, Jesus didn't do that. He, he gave permission 
for the pigs to leave, for the, the demons to leave. The demons are the ones who did that. It happened because Jesus valued the man's life more than he valued the pigs. But it also includes a reminder for us that the forces of darkness are always interested in destruction. That's their goal. Now, that's what, not what they tell us up front. That's not what they offer to us. That's not what they promise to us. They, they promise all kinds of good things. But the things that come from the forces of darkness, what they have to offer at the end of the day, what they have to offer in their totality is destruction and the consuming of our life from the inside out. But this man has been healed. In fact, that leads us to our third act and that third act is, is that Jesus redirects life. When the camera turns back to the man, it had been emphasized prior when we first meet him that he is demon-possessed, he's living amongst the tombs, and that he is naked and he's not worn clothes in a really long time. The camera, the focus, the attention turns back on him, and he is no longer demon-possessed. He is in his right mind, and he is fully clothed. Now, what has happened to this man is he has been healed and he has been clothed. I love both of those things. I'm sure that everybody else around him loved both of those things. But I will tell you that one was a miracle and one was an act of kindness. You see, it was the miracle of God that healed him and cast out those demons. But it was the kindness of somebody else on that hillside that put some clothes on him. He didn't go back and say, oh, let me go open my drawers and find my, my clothes and my, my dresser. No. This person had lost everything. Now, it wasn't the herdsmen because they ran back into town. It wasn't the villagers because when they came back, they're like, hey, where'd the pigs go? And they're upset about the missing pigs. I think the only people around were the disciples. Now, I don't know this for sure. But I like to think that when the camera swings back on the man who used to be demon-possessed, he's wearing Andrew's robe. He's got John's belt. He's got Thaddeus' sandals on. And those disciples took out of their bag and said, let's take care of you in this moment. Let me tell you that there are people in your week that's coming that need two things. They need a miracle of God and they need the kindness of a neighbor. Now the miracle of God, well, that's what we call God's work. That's what He does. He determines. He, he decides when He breaks into this world, when He does the miraculous. So we do not know when God is going to do a miraculous thing. We pray, we wait, we hope, we see. But the kindness of a neighbor, that's on you. <laughs> that's on me. We don't have to wait. We don't have to pray about that. We don't have to ask anybody's permission. There are people that you are going to meet this week that are waiting on a miracle of God and the kindness of a neighbor. And what you can guarantee and be present for is the kindness of a neighbor. It could be a word. It could be a moment of attention. It could be financial help. It could be counsel. It could be helping somebody on the side of the road. It could just be someone to just stand with them in a hard spot. I don't know. But I think you'll recognize it when you see it. I think you'll recognize it when you see it. There are people who need a miracle of God and the kindness of a neighbor, and we get to be 
that neighbor. Now, Jesus doesn't stay long. The reason he doesn't stay long is because he gets an invitation to leave. Now, sometimes you get something in the mail that's an invitation to come. Uh, Jesus got an invitation to leave. Uh, like the town voted and said, wait a minute, what happened to the pigs? Would you please leave? Which really makes me think about the fact that Jesus came across the Sea of Galilee, survived this storm, came all the way to this other side for one person, to rescue one person's life. But hear me, hear me, hear me. That's what Jesus does. The Scripture tells us that He is surrounded by crowds. But the stories that it tells us is what He does in one person's life and one person's life and one person's life. So I am glad that you are here this morning as part of this congregation. But what you need to know is that God doesn't come to deal with this congregation. He comes to speak to your life, to your life, to your life, to your life. Because that's what He does. So Jesus has come across the lake for one person. He has fought the storm for one person. But they asked Jesus to leave. And so Jesus begins packing the boat. And they're loading into the boat. Remember, we were pretty sure that it's the 12 disciples plus Jesus. The boat fits about 13 guys. And then the man who used to be demon-possessed, he says, can I, can I get in? Can I, is there room for one more? Basically, he looks at Jesus and says, because of what you've done in my life, because of what you've done in my life, I want to go wherever you go, do whatever you say, be with you, and I never want to leave you again. Well, sure, he's had his life transformed. But the flip side of it is, he's disconnected from those folks. Probably in some ways he was harmed by those folks. He had been forgotten by those folks. And now those folks are more concerned about the pigs than they are about the fact that he's no longer demon-possessed. They love the pigs more than they loved him. So of course he's going to say, I'm with you. I'm out of here. I'm not staying here. It's the very kind of spirit that Jesus seems to call for time and time again. He comes to the disciples, says, drop everything, follow me. And the disciples drop everything and follow him. It's what's supposed to happen. And so in this case, the, the man says, I'm going with you. And Jesus says, no, you're staying behind. I think that was hard. I think every time people looked at him, they're like, whatever happened to our pigs? We want our pigs back. You owe us a portion of the pigs. There's no barbecues this season because nobody got to sell pigs, nobody got to buy pigs because of this guy. It's a hard place to stay. But Jesus says you are to stay. You are to stay because you are supposed to be a living testimony of the transforming power of Jesus day in and day out. Every day until you die. People should look at you and know what Jesus can do. I mean, that's the word to the man here. The truth is, it's also the word to you and me. Every day until I die, people should look at my life and see the difference that Jesus makes 
until I die. Now the thing about it is, is this man had to go back to a place that he didn't really want to go. He, he had to go back to be amongst the people that he didn't really want to be around. I have a feeling that at least six people in this room, probably more, are going to go to work tomorrow at a place that they don't particularly love. And they're going to go be around some people that are particularly hard. And they're going to have a whole list of places that they would rather be. Maybe even some places that feel more spiritual. But what Jesus is going to say to you is, I need you at that job that you don't like, around those people that you don't prefer, grinding out a work that you'd rather not be doing. But I'm not going to be there. You are. You're going to be the representation of the life-changing power of Jesus every day forward, even in places where you'd rather not be. I want to circle back one more time to the passage, and I want to think just a little bit in terms of looking at the passage in terms of our own lives, and that is what I want you to know is that in terms of Act 1 for us of the transformation of Jesus is that we are broken people as well. Now, some of you may have some pieces and some parts of life that when I say we are broken people, you're like, boy, that's for sure. There's no doubt. There's no arguing that. And I want you to know that Jesus has come for that. But sometimes there's a temptation to say, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm not that. I'm, I'm doing okay. You should see the car I drove this morning. I'm doing okay. But I want you to know that every single one of us are born into darkness in rebellion against the things of God, more in the grip of the forces of darkness than we are of God's kingdom until Jesus comes to rescue us, until we allow Jesus to set us free. That's what he came to do on the cross is to defeat the powers of sin and darkness. But that defeat needs to happen in each and every one of our lives. You and I need that rescue because we are born into that darkness until Jesus rescues us, until we receive that rescue from Him. I love this part of the passage is that there's a change in authority. This man had been controlled by these evil forces and these demons. But from this day forward, he's going to be controlled by Jesus. One of the things that we talk about here in the life of this church is that when we give our lives to Jesus, it is to live under his grace and under his authority. And what I mean by that is that when we say we live under his grace is that he covers all of our mistakes, all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of our errors. That's what we live under. That's the umbrella of all the storm that comes down around us. We have an umbrella that's called His grace. And we stand under that grace. And He covers all of our flaws. But to really give our life to Jesus, we also live under His authority. And that is in the same way we say, I now live my life to please Him, to follow Him, to be obedient to Him. 
And it's not based on my opinion or my desires or my preferences or the things that I'm chasing or what someone else says I should do with my life. But day in, day out, on the huge decisions and on the daily split-second decisions, what is it that Jesus wants me to do in this moment? There's a change of authority. He had been controlled by the demons. But now, by his choice, he is going to be controlled by Jesus. And then there's the redirecting of life. Your life should not be the same because Jesus is present in it. It should be redirected again. It may mean that he calls you to a thrilling, exciting, dramatic place to serve him. Or it may mean he sends you back to work tomorrow. But whatever it is, you represent him and you show people this is what it looks like to have a life transformed by Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your power, the dramatic things that you can do in our life. Lord, there are battles in this place. Lord, there are people that are, that are struggling and fighting with hard things. Lord, I pray that you would grant them victory that only comes through you. Lord, we thank you that you overpower and overwhelm all forces of darkness. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we yield ourselves to you to be agents of kindness and of love and of the gospel and of witness. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.